For the past six months, we have dedicated our time, money and resources to dig deep into what was once one of England's most respected football clubs. Charlton Athletic, now one of a number of clubs owned by Belgian businessman Roland Duchatelet, share scouts, players and staff within a secretive and highly controversial network. We've got the accounts of former players, managers and board members, heard from network scouts and advisors, and even obtained never-before-seen emails sent from Duchatelet in a bid to find out exactly what has happened at the Valley. You're listening to Getting to Know the Network. When Charlton were taken over in January 2014, they joined Standard Liège, Centurion, Upest and Alcacorn in the Roland Duchatelet network of football clubs. After taking control, Duchatelet sat down for a meeting with the Charlton staff, members of the senior management team, footballing and non-footballing staff. This move to discuss his plans was seen as promising and it was the first time Chris Powell had met Duchatelet, joined by Tony Jimenez. Yeah, it was quite obvious that Tony had made his decisions on, on players and told this to uh, Roland. So as we went through the players, it was, well, he's no good, he's not good enough. We have players that will replace them. And I, straight away, I suppose I was trying to protect my players because they weren't. I just said, well, have you seen these players play? You know what it's like at this level? These guys know what it takes. And straight away it was, yeah, we know we, we have players within the network. And, and I said, that, that's fine. That's, that's fine. But they need to know what they're, they're coming into. I said, look, like any manager, if you can uh, improve your squad and improve your playing staff, then, then great. But you have to do it in a way that is right, that you're building future and you're building a team and a squad but that was that wasn't adhered to that was basically well it doesn't matter we we've got scouts and we've got we we know the players that you need there were positives to come out of those meetings the club's ground staff left with a pledge that extensive work would be carried out on the pitch over the summer Next on his first day the loan signing of Astrid Aderovic from Standard Liège until the end of the season Paul knew Aderovic from his time working at Leicester, but that was pure coincidence. Aderovic was the first in a long line of players who'd arrive at Charlton from Duchatelet's network of clubs and without Paul's knowledge or approval. From then, it was constant phone calls, a few meetings, emails, suggesting this is the way we should play, suggesting what players should play, and it was just, it was just chaos. And I can't even say it was organised chaos. It was chaos. Players were turning up. And it wasn't their fault. I will always say this. I won't ever blame any of the players who came over from Belgium or Hungary. We had players that had been with me throughout the journey, looking, thinking, what's going on? They could sense what was happening. Of course, it just carried on. The next to arrive was Johan Taramulien from Standard Liège on January the 12th followed by Loic Nego from Upest and Reza Kuchanajad from Liège. Not only did Powell not know any of them, he didn't know they were coming. For example, long-serving club secretary Chris Parks knocked on Powell's door and said you've signed a Polish striker and he's downstairs. 
Powell hadn't signed anyone. Parks was referring to Piotr Pacicic from de Grafschab, his first team coach, Damien Matthew. These players, through no fault of their own, were being pushed into an environment they wasn't ready for. I go back to the recruitment uh, is the key issue. They should have people in England on a regular basis, touching base with the people who ultimately were seeing things every day. Powell wouldn't show the players his growing frustration, but it was also a very tough situation for the signings moving to Charlton, and Pacecek is a good example of that. This was meant to be a big break, but the 21-year-old was met by bemused-looking coaching staff who knew nothing about him. It was just uh, awkward for me because I never spoke to anyone at the club. You know, When I heard of other players that I know, uh, when they made a transfer, they first talked to the, to the sporting director or to the manager or to somebody, and I didn't speak to anyone. You know, I didn't know nobody at the club, and uh, I heard that on the same day when I arrived, they, they signed two or three other players. It was a weird situation. Normally, a new player would speak to the manager or sporting director of the club he's about to join. You cannot compare business, uh, the business life of business with the life of football. In business, you can loan, uh, you can put a director of, from London to, to to Budapest, for instance, but you cannot loan a player from London to Budapest and expect automatically to to get good results, you know. I said to Johnny Jackson that uh, the owner he, he ruined the whole club because if you look at all the all the teams in the championship, uh, the best teams they have the the most experienced players in in England. You know the the players who played more most games at championship level, Premier League or League One level. Not the not the team with the with the most foreign players because they don't know what to expect. My feeling was that I wasn't ready. Astrid Aderovic felt that some of the other arrivals weren't prepared for championship football. I think maybe it was a little bit of a shock for them because they didn't know about the pace, they didn't know about the standards, they didn't know how how English mentality is in the championship or in the Premier League. So of course it's, it's, it's different from other leagues. At this stage it had become obvious to existing players like Simon Church that these weren't Powell's recruits. We all knew, and the way Chris Powell dealt with him was, was brilliant. I thought it was first class. He does a lot of things that were out of his hands, but he, wa- he wasn't going to moan about it. He knew the situation, and he kind of let other people know the situation without you know, going in too deep. Here's first team coach Damien Matthew again. Just by bringing players into the, into the building, who mm. obviously the network wanted in at the club, was a negative way of, of trying to uh, create the harmony and the team spirit, which was everything we built Charlton on. It's easy to get a group of good players, but it's even harder to create the harmony and team spirit to uh, make them play gel and perform as a team. Leon Court, who was a regular in Powell's team, felt there was now a divide in the dressing room. There, there was. There's, there's no doubt about that. There was. I mean, we, you know, we tried to. The lads that were there tried to make everyone feel like a part of it involved. But a lot of lads didn't speak much English, and the dressing room was very separated. It was like the lads from before, and then the new lads over the other side. And that's that's the recipe for disaster. It wasn't. It wasn't integrated very well at all. Players that the Charlton boss had no knowledge of had been brought to the club. Yet many came expecting minutes. CEO Cato Meyer and Richard Murray have strongly denied that Duchatelet interfered with team selection. Here's Ben Hamer and Simon Church on the issue. We all knew that was the case because they were bringing in players. And you could see some, some 
weren't really even good enough to, to play to play in the championship and you think what's going on here and, you know they were getting filtered into the into the starting eleven and, uh, and the boys were obviously getting a bit disgruntled thinking well how, how's he playing you know when I've been playing well for so long or whatever so we kind of thought in the changing room that exactly and he was bringing in players to basically play and he wanted to pick the team up as such but we just tried to get on with it as best as we could players that have been brought in they have to play there's, there's players that would play regardless of what happened on the weekend or, or anything like that and when that when that kind of thing happens you know as, as a professional you've got to get on with it but at the same time you know you work hard all week and then you know you're not going to play on Saturday anyway. Midfielder Bradley Pritchard remembers Anil Koch a midfielder who arrived from Standard Liège. He was quite happy to tell us that he was meant to be playing. There was a minimum number of games, 13 games, that he should have been playing. Uh, he was signed on the basis that he was going to be making these appearances. This is where it's a lot more obvious that, OK, something's going on here. You know, when, when you've got random players coming in saying, well, we're going to be playing, or we're told that we, we should be playing. For example, on January the 18th, when goalkeeper Ben Elmwick was ill and Hamer was injured, Johan Taram started Charlton's trip to Middlesbrough. Taram made a crucial error, allowing a weak Emmanuel Ledesma shot to bounce over him and Charlton lost the game 1-0. Ben Elmwick returned and replaced Taram for a 3-0 win over Oxford and a 1-0 win over Huddersfield Town. After two wins and two clean sheets, Elmwick was selected for the trip to Doncaster Rovers on Tuesday, January the 28th. At 9.19pm that night, Duchatelet sent the following email. Chris... Could you explain why you did not put Johan Thuram in goal for the last two games? Roland. Three days after the loss to Doncaster, Alnwick was told he was no longer needed and his contract was torn up. As he left for Leighton Orient, 18-year-old Dylan Phillips was now Charlton's only fit backup, leaving Powell with no choice but to play Thuram. Next, Loic Nego and Reza Gucinajad arrived at the training ground and Powell was advised that he should play them in an email sent to the Charlton manager on January the 30th at 8.42am. This long email can be seen in full on our website, www.gettingtoknowthenetwork.com. Here's some of it. Dear Chris, before acquiring Charlton Athletic, our scouts did analyse the players and also the playing system. The conclusion was that the average quality of the group was below average. With this knowledge, we transferred quality players from Standard and Upest. In the future, we will only recruit players of high quality. Our assumption here is that Duchatelet is referring to the arrival of Nego and Gochunajad, players signed the day before this email was sent. It continues, I asked the scout who has been most involved in this exercise how he would play given the recent injection of quality. Indeed, to put it bluntly, he knows the incoming players much better than you. And he also knows the other players well, since he analysed so many games in detail, while you may not have had the time to do so. The next section of the email is a paragraph explaining that his scout would play a flat 4-4-2 in defence mode, which becomes a 4-1-2-1-2 offensively. The flat 4 in defence changes to a diamond in offensive mode. As mentioned, the email is in its entirety on our website. After that, Duchatelet advises Powell on the team his scout would play against Wigan. Obviously, he would put Taram in the goal, Wood and Morrison as central defenders, Wiggins left-back and Nego right-back since Solly is injured. The four midfielders would be Astrid, Cousins, Stevens, and Harriet, and he would prefer Sordell to play with Reza. He thinks Sordell has much better technical quality and would create much more danger if we play football rather than long balls. Is it possible to test the lineup and tactics in the coming two days? Here in Belgium, coaches use the rest of the team and youngsters from the under-21 to play opponent in closed training games. 
They even asked the opponent to play like the real opponent would. Roland. Pal decided to make a point and played a very similar team to that which Duchatelet suggested at Wigan. They lost 2-1. Despite the club's frequent denials on the matter, Duchatelet certainly wanted to have certain players in the team. At a fans Q&A, Charlton CEO Catherine Meyer suggested those who made such a claim were dismissed ex-employees saying certain things to the press for a certain reason. We have reached out to Charlton for comments, but they have not taken part in this so far. So the next big question is who are the scouts responsible for recruiting these players and advising Duchatelet? This is where things get a bit complicated. In the three years Duchatelet has owned Charlton, the club has had seven managers or head coaches. They're Chris Powell, Jose Riga, Bob Peters, Guy Luzon, Carol Fry, Jose Riga again, and Russell Slade. All were allowed a different amount of control in terms of bringing in a player, although none had the final say. In 2014, a group of scouts worked alongside Roland Duchatelet's network of clubs looking for players who would fit their system. The group included Thomas Treason, Christophe Lenoy and Chief Network Scout Mark Van Osler. Thomas Treason may be a name you've heard before. He's in his mid-twenties with no background in playing football and no coaching qualifications. Treason makes decisions by watching clips, looking at data and statistics. He's also the scout Duchatelet refers to in that email to Powell. After numerous conversations with Treason about whether or not he was willing to speak to us, he opted not to, making this statement. I'm just a normal scout, like there are many in Roland Duchatelet's clubs. I give my opinion about some of the targets for different clubs. It's been reported that Thomas Treason was the only scout brought to work on recruitment for Charlton after Roland Duchatelet took over the club in January 2014. That wasn't the case. But multiple sources have told us that Treason's influence on Duchatelet and indeed on recruitment was greater than any other, trusting him more than any other advisor, scout or even manager, given the power to pull the plug on any deal and get the green light for the players he suggests. We asked Bob Peters, head coach of Charlton between May 2014 and January 2015, about Treason's role in recruitment. He was the boss. If there was a player we wanted and he said no, he's not good enough, I don't think the player would come. And I think that, that still is uh, a bit like that. It's not easy to work with, with, with people like that as a coach because I think at that moment Phil Chappell was also in charge. And I, I think he, he has a lot of knowledge about the English competition and what's required to play in the championship. Yeah, I think it was Phil Chappell's frustration as well that... Uh, he brought a lot of players and we discussed about a lot of players, uh, but they never came. And that was a big frustration, but OK, at the end, it's chairman that decides. Guy Luzon, previously standard Liège boss, took over from Peters and worked with Driesen. He's the, he's the scout, he's the one that, uh, if he is not agree about a player, we cannot sign him. He has a big say on this one, so. So there's a lot of... Uh, Luzon's assistant at Charlton was David Martin, who also worked at Liège. Yeah, also Thomas was one of the scouts. Yeah. was like the right end of the, the president. Duchatelet is often referred to as the president by network employees. And here, speaking about his role as chief network scout for the first time, is Marc van Osseler. His English is a little broken. Mr. Duchatelet, sometimes he, okay, he trusts on you and say, okay, it was, it was like this sometimes, okay? He trusts me and say, okay, I trust you, we take the player, and he, he did everything for the player, no problem. And sometimes someone said, okay, something about me, yeah, he's not correct about this, about this, about this, and it was finished. 
and uh, Thomas Reason, okay? Maybe, I don't know why, I don't know. But uh, he, he trusts him for everything. I think it's, it's not like this, you can work to football. And uh, always me, I have a lot, a big, very big experience. It's since I work since uh, 16 years, okay, like professional, I found a lot of players, okay, and he's only 26 years, and uh, he never played, he never played, fo never played football, okay. It's just I don't understand, and I never, I didn't understand, but it was like this. He never went to a game, okay, to see players. It was always in video, and said to Mr. Duchatelet, okay, to take him for Charlton. And generally, Duchatelet takes the players. It took almost a month to track down Van Osselaer. However, once we did, he talked openly about Duchatelet's scouting cell, revealing he would be given a list of players by fellow scouts, including Thomas Driesen and standard scout Christophe Lenoy, as well as agents. His job would be then to decide which network club the players were best suited to. Just when he paid the club, okay, of Charlton, he said to us, okay, to the scouts, then it's very important to find players directly for Charlton. We had a meeting, okay, and said, okay, we work together to find players. Then they work, they worked on their side, okay, me on my side. If it was a, if it was a talent player, okay, I said it's very important to take him, okay, and it's possible to, to him for him to play for Standard, for Charlton, for Alcorcon, okay. But he's not ready, for example, for Standard for Europa, Europa, Europa Cup. Then take him, take him to Alcorcon, or take him now in Charlton because physically, it's it's okay. I just help to choose, okay, the best club for the for, for one player. But it's it's not because I said, okay, you can put him in Charlton, then Mr. Duchatelet put him in Charlton. <laughs> it's more difficult. The final choice, it, it was always Mr. Duchatelet. Van Osselet quickly grew frustrated with Duchatelet's position on Charlton. For, for him, the business, it was better with Standard, okay, because you can sell a player. It's more expensive from Standard than from Charlton. Then he said, okay, we must take players only for Sonar. But if they are not ready, they, they, they have to play for Charlton or Alcorcon or another club. Okay? For me, it was a big problem. They take, they take players for Standard, and, and if they were not enough strong to play for Standard, he put it in to, to Charlton. It was difficult because Mr. Duchatelet, you, you give your ID, okay? He listened to you. He listened. Okay, no problem. But in fact, he decide you cannot you cannot do like you want, okay? Or or take players who didn't play in standard and put them in Charlton because it's not possible. English football is difficult. It's not like this. You must take players, okay, with big talents, but it's not uh, the second team of standard. But yes, it's not possible. When we contacted scout Christophe Lenoy, he said the main part of his work was at Standard Liège, which is true, and that he'd prefer not to speak. It's also worth mentioning that Carol Fry worked in this group in the summer of 2014 for two years, although he says his focus was on Duchatelet's Spanish side Alcacon. Along with Van Osselet, Driesen and Lenoy, Duchatelet also regularly took advice of at least three others. One was Dylan Salomon, an agent who specialises in French football. We attempted to contact him, but no luck. Another was Dudu Daham, an Israeli former professional footballer and coach who now works as an agent. 
Dahan advised du Châtelet it was a huge reason that Guy Luzon jumped from being under-21 coach of Israel to head coach of Liège. As he told the Jerusalem Herald, there were many things that helped Guy to get to Liège. The club's poor results and the fact that they were looking for a young and ambitious coach helped. My good connections with the club's management and their faith in me were also a factor and we succeeded. Du Châtelet did have faith in him, but actually his involvement at Charlton was pretty minimal. His clients have included Johan Taram, Johan Berg, Goodmanson, Luzon, David Martin and Tal Ben-Haim. So understandably, a connection has been made in the past, but really it's been overstated. In fact, one of the reasons Dahan hasn't been more involved is because he does not enjoy a good relationship with senior Charlton officials, as he briefly alluded to when we spoke to him. Regarding Charlton, never I have any, any involvement because my relation also with the people that manage the club is not fantastic, you know. He does, however, clearly respect Roland de Châtelet. This is a very, very smart man. And uh, sometimes, you know, he makes mistakes, like everyone that's trying. Football is not an easy business. It's the only business in the world you cannot go on university and, and uh, graduate, you know, and learn. You have to make a lot of mistakes to become somebody. The Châtelet is coming to, to buy the, this club because nobody else wants to buy it. You know, it was not like 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 people uh, want to buy the club. So this is what I know. I learned a lot from him, a lot, a lot, because he's one of the most smart people I ever met in my life. I have a lot of respect and a lot of honour for this man. Du Châtelet listened to him and his influence shouldn't be discounted, but compared to others we've already discussed, it was pretty minimal. The final person who Du Châtelet asked for advice was Feriana Ferriguzzi, a midfielder for Standard Liège women's team for 19 years before becoming the women's team technical director. Du Châtelet would seek Ferriguzzi's opinions on players and whether they were suitable for certain clubs. Ferriguzzi doesn't speak English, so we've enlisted the help of a translator. We asked her whether she worked closely with Du Châtelet and what her role was in the recruitment. Yes, we worked together, of course. I was given missions, players to watch, scouting reports to produce, and we discussed together how to do it. I don't think I was the most important, but it's true that we spoke a lot. There were the other people who worked on the scouting as well. From time to time, everyone who was working on scouting met up for meetings all together, but the final decision was always Roland's. We discussed players together to decide which club would be better to place certain players. You're doing a report on him, so you know very well that there is Alcacon, Jenna, St Troyden, Ujpest, Charlton and Standard. We had a lot of discussions on Vetekele and some on Taram too. Like I said, I was given scouting missions and I produced reports for him and if he had any questions, he called me and we discussed. It was the philosophy and the way of running the clubs that meant players could be good for Charlton but not good for Standard. Ultimately, Du Châtelet is a businessman. So the reason for putting players in one club or another was clearly understood. In fact, if Chief Scout Van Osselaer saw a player that he wanted to sign, Du Châtelet asked that he first sought the advice of Thuisen, Lenoy and Ferraguzzi. On the advice of scouts and advisers with little to no knowledge of the championship, Charlton were being sent players who were not ready or good enough. 
On the same day as Ben Elmwick left, Charlton cashed in on midfielder Dale Stevens when Brighton came in for him. A day later, on January 31st, they sold fans' favourite Jan Kermigant to Bournemouth. In a statement, the club claimed that Kermigant had turned down a two-year contract extension before they reluctantly sanctioned the sale. We're going to go a bit further into that Kermigant deal in another episode, but regardless, in his first month as the club's owner, Duchatelet had taken a wrecking ball to Chris Powell's Charlton. It was quite farcical at times, really. You know, I had an argument with the Roland, then I'm going to a press conference at the ground, and he's saying, oh, he's my coach, what have you. And there's a famous picture of me looking at him at the press conference, and I just didn't agree with all that he's done. And he's, he's proven me right, you know. In some ways, I wanted him to prove me wrong. He's proven me right. That press conference was on February the 20th and a week later, following victories over QPR and Sheffield Wednesday, Duchatelet sent Van Osselaer to watch Charlton, a champions-elect Leicester. Powell's men lost 3-0 to a side that included Danny Drinkwater, Jamie Vardy and Riyad Mahrez. Van Osselaer reported back. I said it's, it was possible okay, to stay in second division than in, in, in championship. Okay? I think without problem. I think it was a, a problem of organisation. Okay, simply a problem of this. And, of course, not enough talent in the team, talents in the team. It was just that. Okay, then I, I, give my, I gave my ID only on the, yeah, on the team, of, of course, tactically, and uh, player, each player, okay? Powell would only survive one more game after that. As Charlton lost 2-0 in the FA Cup quarter-final at Sheffield United, Duchatelet phoned Jose Riga to offer him the Charlton job. I know as a football manager, uh, you live and die by your results. Of course you do. But then when you've got added pressure of um, outside influences and people disagreeing with everything you do, you don't create harmony. You don't create an environment that's conducive to, to winning, conducive to people trying their best for you because they'll listen to me but then they were they were speaking to the owner because that's the sort of relationship they had it just didn't work Van Osler felt that Powell never stood a chance the manager has to, to decide oh it's not possible with Mr Duchatelet it's not possible in a, in a, in a system like Mr Duchatelet okay one wanted to make then with uh, four or five six clubs okay you you have a lot of, of of movement, you know, you understand in uh, in the clubs from Standard, put him in Charlton, after Charlton to Alcorcon, Alcorcon to Standard and something like that. Mm-hmm. And if if the coach wanted to decide, it's very, very, very difficult. It's impossible. So perhaps with his own appointment, someone who believes in Duchatelet's model and sees its benefits, there would be more clarity, stability and success for Duchatelet's Charlton. In episode three, we talk to Jose Riga, Bob Peters and Carol Fry, among others. That's next time on Getting to Know the Network.